Hey, podcast world. Welcome to another exciting, enthralling, etc. ing episode of FNO InsureTech. Ladies and gentlemen, that's none other than our esteemed co-host, Mr. Lee Boyd. Hi, everybody. And I am your other, not quite as esteemed co-host, Mr. Rob Beller. Hi, Rob. How are you? I am doing very nice today. Yeah? Oh, wow. That sounds very nice. Not just nice. No, very nice. Why is that, Lee? Why is that? Give us five seconds on why very nice. Well, I just got a lot going on, and I get excited when I have a lot of projects Mm -hmm. because I can give a lot of attention to different things. And I've been reading some very interesting books, so it just kind of makes me feel good all around. Drop a name for us. Give us a book you're reading that you like. One of the books I'm reading is uh, How to Do TED Talks. I don't know the exact subject line, but today I read about passion. I read about you have to be passionate about everything you do to be a good speaker, Hmm. which is interesting because our guest today, I think, has a lot of passion about what he does. Lee, you you stole my segue. I apologize, Rob. You're a looter. You're looting my segue. I'm telling you, I've just a lot going on. But you're exactly right. We have with us today one of the more passionate carrier executives that we know, Mr. Dave Williams, also known as David Williams, who's the chief claims officer at TWIA, Texas Wind Insurance Association here in Texas. Yeah, Dave is a fascinating guy who's been in uh, the insurance industry for a long time. You know, he's just, he's done everything. But what I really like about Dave is uh, he is a person who wants to better everything and every aspect of the organization. Right. Moss does not grow under his feet. He is a lifelong learner and is constantly thinking and learning and reading. And we wanted to have him on because he's very involved in what we call claims transformation, which is the changing the state of how claims are done. And whether it's process, procedure, people, or technology. And Dave has a keen interest in technology. And we'll be talking about that today, as well as a lot of his insights on people and process and uh, where we're going and and where this whole thing is heading. Yeah, just I I expect today to have a lot of good, uh, rich information about how to better your organization, to learn what he's done, maybe even learn some lessons uh, that, that he's learned along the way. And then, you know, we'll get the insight into where does he see claims going? Where does he see the uh, the world of technology taking us? So I think uh, today will be a, a very good podcast. Well, Lee, you've gotten me so excited that I just want to jump right into the interview. What do you think? Well, I say let's do it. Let's go. Let's do it. Okay, podcast world. So without further ado, our interview with Dave Williams from Tuya. Here we are, podcast world, with our very special guest, Mr. Dave Williams. Hey, Dave. Good morning. How are you? Very good. It's nice and warm here and dry in Texas. Yeah, where are you today in Texas? I sit here in Austin, Texas. Wonderful, awesome Texas. It's where your offices are, correct? Yes. Okay. I think a lot of people would agree there's worse places to live than Austin, Texas. Yes, and I may have lived in one of those where I grew up, so I'm happy to be in Texas. (laughs) Where'd you grow up, Dave? 
Western New York, uh, they're having one heck of a, a winter this year. <laughs> Don't miss it. Yeah, they're... Are they having a little snow? Is that what's going on? Yes, more than usual. Yeah. Oh, really? Is that possible? <laughs> They've actually had a good run over the last few years. So um, this year, I think they got used to warmer winters, and now it's come back. Oh, man. Well, speaking about where you come from, let's jump right in and start with the fact that you are the chief claims officer at TWIA. What does TWIA stand for? TWIA stands for the Texas Windstorm Insurance Association. And what does that mean? So we're what we call a residual market insurer or insurer of last resort. We've been around since 1971. We were created to provide wind and hail insurance coverage to people who live on the coast of Texas that were unable to obtain it in the private market as a result of a string of hurricanes back in the 60s and 70s. So basically regular carriers say, no, thank you. <laughs> We don't want this risk. Exactly. Okay, so the state comes in and helps. Well, actually, um, the state created us, but we are not a state agency. A lot of people think we're a state agency, but we're not a state agency, and we do not receive funds from the state of Texas. So we function more like a real insurance company. We collect premiums, pay losses. Okay, yeah. So I guess a lot of our listeners probably think it is more state-funded. You know, tell us a little bit more about that. What does a person do to get insurance through TWIA? We provide the wind and hail coverage in the 14 coastal counties and a little bit of uh, Harris County along the Bay of Houston. And any agent who's licensed to write insurance in Texas can actually sell a TWIA policy. And what's another interesting fact is the agents work for the policyholders. The agents do not work for TWIA. So uh, the relationship with the policyholder is actually owned by the agent, not TWIA, which presents challenges at times. What's the chief claims officer do at TWIA? So I'm responsible for the day-to-day -day claims operations, making sure that we have adequate staffing and can scale up for major storms or even minor storms. We're also responsible for managing the claims for the Texas Fair Plan Association, which is similar to TWIA in that it's also residual market insurer, but um, provides homeowners insurance in places that are underserved around Texas mostly Harris County, Houston. And we do sell fair plan policies on the coast, but those policies do not provide wind and hail coverage. You have to get that through TWIA. So I first met Dave, I'm going to say 12 years ago, maybe, when he, in Atlanta, Georgia, when he was, I believe, VP of Claims at ZC Sterling. Yes. Which was a lender-placed insurer national lender place insurer and that 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 was an <laughs> that was an interesting gig i think a lot of people on this on this podcast listening to the podcast probably don't know what lender place insurance is i certainly didn't when i met you guys but you were there you were there for several years and then through a couple of acquisitions and then you made your way to twia how long have you been with twia so i just entered my 8th year with twia and my how time passes fast how did that happen <laughs> i think you're listening to too much music in austin is what's going on really <laughs> is that what it is? So let's go back. Let's talk about your insurance career quickly. Tell us where you started and hit some of the high points that have brought you up to this point. Sure. So um, like most claim professionals, I started out as an adjuster in the field working for Amica and uh, spent 10 years there, worked my way up from a field adjuster to a supervisor to a branch uh, manager out in Portland, Oregon, of all places. And from there, I hooked up with American Financial Group, their non-standard auto group, which included Windsor Auto, Infinity, uh, Leader National, Great American, and uh, 
one other company, I can't remember the name now, but um, was a um, branch manager and ended up uh, opening eight branch offices, branch claim offices for them in a two and a half year period, one on the West Coast and then seven in the Northeast, uh, Pennsylvania, New York, and Connecticut. So um, that was a, a thrilling experience, a unique opportunity because I had to find the office locations, build them out, hire the staff, train them, and then manage them. Uh, very busy time. Did that for a couple of years and then moved to the home office in Atlanta, where I actually took on a role as AVP of claims technology in a 1,500-person claims organization, where we went and built a brand new claim system from the ground up. So what year was this? This was um, 2000 to 2004. So there was a title, AVP of claims technology? Yes. Back then? Yes. Was there claims technology in 2004? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think, you know, we saw a few things emerging. Email was becoming more popular. And, um, you know, we had competition between Microsoft Outlook and, and Lotus uh, Notes. And, uh, you know, Outlook eventually won out. We were seeing competition with Microsoft Office and the Lotus Suite. So if you remember Lotus 123 spreadsheets, we moved over to Microsoft Excel. We were playing around with video then and uh, recordings and uh, all kinds of stuff. Um, you know, we were starting to see glimpses of uh, how we could streamline claim processes. And we, we were able to automate um, document uh, input through optical character recognition at that time as well and had automated workflows. So depending on the type of document that came in, it would be routed to the person with the most expertise to deal with it. So low complex claims would, we were already fast-tracking things. Um, larger losses would go in a different path. And then anything tied to litigation would, would go to those experts. And this was simply just through managing documents. That is really interesting to think about 2014, right, you know, 15 years ago, that, you know, email was a big thing. Uh, video technology, importing documents, how do we do all that? You know, it's neat to think that this has been a trend that's been going on for so long. You know, yeah, I mean, one of the favorite stories is I, I started working in the industry in 2003, and I was just in a straight sales capacity then, and uh, talking to people and them asking me questions like, 2003, do you have email? Can you take a file electronically? Can you receive a file through email? Or does it have to be faxed to you? 2003. So the pace of technology is obviously quick, and we're all used to that today. But for some of our audience, particularly our insure tech audience, I think it's good perspective to know that technology in our field, in the claims field, is kind of new or newer, right? Or slower. Well, so tell us, what, you know, what did you do after that? Is that whenever you jumped into leading the organizations on a higher level or what, what kind of took place? So um, we deployed the system, and I think the, the fatal flaw for us with that system was it was a server-based system, like just about every system that was out there. And at that point, Guidewire came on the scene with the most robust web-based system, and other companies quickly webified their systems, and we, we never got a chance. So then we moved on to looking for other projects and things we could work on. So we all went through Six Sigma training. And we put together what I call the dream team. And it was an interesting team because we had to demonstrate a four to one payback of our salaries in order to keep the team together and moving forward. So we had just shy of a million dollars in salaries and benefits. So we had to demonstrate four million dollars or more a year in savings in order to keep the team together. So it was a strong incentive to cherry pick the best projects. And we surely did that. And um, 
we were able to keep that going up until I decided it was time to see if I could run my own claims operation. Hey, Dave, tell us a little bit about Six Sigma. I'm a, a big studier of Six Sigma, but I think some of our listeners may need to know a little bit. What is that? So it's a method for uh, managing projects and looking for opportunities to improve, uh, you know, the concept of continuous improvement. And you basically look at two things, the voice of the customer and the voice of the process. And through um, data gathering, analysis, problem solving, you develop ideas to work on and you implement them and then you make sure that they're working correctly or you iterate. It's a very formal process. It can be a very formal process. And where it really excels is for important things where planes are in the air and people are at risk of dying if planes don't fly right and crash, you know, uh, things like that. We used a much simpler approach where I, I'd like to call it lean, even though lean is an is a offshoot of Six Sigma. And, um, you know, today um, we've discovered uh, design thinking, which really seems to be a much better approach because it's something that looks like is easy to implement and doesn't have a lot of fear involved. Uh, there's no way you can mess it up, in my opinion, as long as you understand that failure is okay. And testing and, and retesting and iterating and re-ideating gets you where you need to get. Yeah, well, that is really neat. So today you're using design thinking along with Six Sigma, along with Lean. I imagine that's a skill that will stay with you for, for quite some time. So very neat you're, you're utilizing all that. Well, and I think the key with any of these methodologies is understanding where to get the information and gathering it and analyzing it correctly because, you know, any method can get off track if you're getting bad information. Right. I'm a big believer in making sure that we get the right data, that we look at the right data, and that we uh, output the right data. A lot of great things. I love the concept of Six Sigma because it's the, the continuous improvement. It's the looking at it and saying, how can we make it better, right? Oh, we made it better. How can we make it better? And I know you and I know your organization that, that you're always looking at things and saying, okay, well, that storm worked. We were able to do that. How can we do it better next time? So it's very obvious you're, you're continually using that in your everyday work. And I think Rob's probably heard this. Most of the people who know me well know my favorite saying, better beats perfect. There you go. Yes. Actually, I love that. And I've been thinking a lot about that lately. I've mentioned that my son is in a tech accelerator right now. His startup company's in a tech accelerator. And that's a big message that they have for their startups who are racing, you know, as fast as they possibly can to either get to market or to capture market share, whatever, whatever the case may be, to go fast and to make it better, not perfect. I think it's something that's applicable for, you know, anybody listening to this podcast, right? And perfect takes a lot of <laughs> perfect takes a lot of time, right? Yeah. You know, I'm thinking about that saying right now, and I'm thinking, you know, a lot of people want to implement technologies and make them the perfect scenario. And, and they spend so long looking for the absolutely right technology, the absolutely right process so that there's, you know, the perfect scenario. But you're right. Better is sometimes, you know, just doing something and pushing towards a better world is better than waiting for that perfect moment. Very good quote. Let's kind of turn a corner. And now I'm going to I'm going to make you blush if that's possible to make Dave Williams blush. Let's see. We we have Dave on video today so we can see him. We're going to check. I consider Dave Williams one of the smartest, most aggressive business leaders that I know. And let's be frank, when you came to Twia, it was a mess. I think it's fair to say. It's as if a bomb had exploded. It was sometime after Hurricane Ike. 
Hurricane Ike was the, maybe the best word to use for that. It was a big challenge. It was kind of a disaster for Tuya. The place was kind of in ruins. Leadership was gone. You walked into administrative oversight by the Texas Department of Insurance, which is the Texas DOI, basically. So you kind of had both your hands tied behind your back, brand new job, brand new leadership, I think new CEO, if I'm not mistaken. Can you reflect a little bit on that? Because I want to kind of set the stage for how you transformed the organization. Because one of the things Dave is very accomplished at is transformation, honest to God transformation from one state to the next. And like we were talking about with Six Sigma from to constantly improve it. And we've seen that. I've firsthand seen you do that. So I want to set that stage. Tell us about when you got it to Tuya. Yeah, you know, everything you said was true about the situation I was walking in with Twin, and, and I still took the job. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I was blessed because, like you mentioned, uh, they had replaced most of the leadership. Claims leadership was gone. And the general manager, who is our CEO, had been replaced with a very competent John Pollock, who had uh, quite a bit of industry experience. And looking at the organization, it's not that they didn't have good, hardworking people it's really a situation where they didn't have enough people. You know, in, in 2008, when Ike hit, they only had five permanent employees in the claims department. So, you know, today we have 50, you know, and they didn't have a detailed, solid cat plan. Our cat plan today is very robust, and we got to test it with Harvey, obviously. They didn't have people with a lot of insurance carrier experience, certainly not on outside of Texas, so, you know, one of our biggest challenges working at TWI is we sit on the island of Texas, and unless we talk to people and get out and try to see what's going on in the real world, I call it zooming out, you have a tendency to only know what you know, and that's a huge challenge to overcome sometimes. So I understand the challenges they were faced when Ike hit, and, you know, I was fortunate enough to come in and be responsible for solving those and having worked for major carriers and dealt with catastrophes all around the country in my 30-some-year career, at least I knew what had to be done. You know, for me, any of these transformations come down to four things, people, processes, technology, and, and now more recently, data. You know, and people are the most important component, having the experience, the attitude, and, and changing the culture to one of, we're here to serve our policyholders, was the biggest challenge. And, and I have to be honest, I've worked with some great people Throughout my career, not only those that led me, but those that helped work with me and made me look great. And the people I have today here at TWIA are the best, not only in claims, but in the rest of the company. So we've come a long way in, in just over seven years. Well, good for you. I mean, I know you've had to rebuild that team. You know, it's funny that you say that. When I first came into the industry, one of the customers I had was Citizens of Florida. Back then, the first time I went and met with Citizens of Florida, if you can believe this, they had two employees. Wow. They had the director and he had, you know, an assistant and that was it. So I think that wind pools have come of age, right, in the last uh, 10 years. Is that fair to say? Yeah, unfortunately, we've had the wind storms to drive that. <laughs> right. So let's talk about the transformation that occurred. Give us a brief on where you started and how you created where you were heading and, and what you were doing. And and how you use technology to enable that. Yeah, so I think one of the challenges was everything we did had to be not objected to by the Department of Insurance. So there was a lot of documentation and putting things together and explaining and going through processes. So, you know, 
that caused us to have to move slower, but it also caused us to probably pay closer attention to things. So that helped, you know, evaluating the people. One of the first things you look at is claim volume, types of claims, you know, claim complexities. And there was very little segmentation of losses. So everything got the same treatment. And uh, one of the first things we looked at was um, how should the claims be segmented so that they go down the right path? which included cycle times. So there was no clear tracking of cycle times. The average claim for TWIA when I got here took more than 30 days to resolve. The average claim for fair plan took more than 45 days to resolve. Within the first year through putting in your typical claims uh, workflow management tools and enabling Zactware, Zact analysis, we turned it around where the average TWIA claim was resolved in less than 10 days and the average fair plan claim was resolved in a couple of days more. So just taking a look at workflows, processes, and having the right people with the right attitude and certainly partnering with independent adjusting firms that understood what was at stake. You know, we all know the longer a claim stays open, the worse it gets. So, you know, driving that point home was critical. So, you know, really, as you, you know, work towards the transformation of the process, you talk about the four parts. You talk about the people that you brought on, bringing on people who are really good, perhaps even passionate about what they do. And then technology, you implemented new technology. I had the privilege of working for TWIA as an adjuster back in Gali, which is down in uh, South Padre Island, you know, right before Ike. And I remember that there was no exact technology that was being used. We could deliver it back within a PDF form. But it sounds as though you really entered into more of the exact analysis world to kind of keep a uh, hub of the technologies. Is that right? Yeah, so um, we hadn't fully implemented Zactware when I arrived. Zact analysis wasn't even in the equation. And you had an organization that pretty much took whatever estimate format the independent adjusting firm used. So SimSol, Simbility, Zactware, any of them that were in play could potentially come across someone's desk here. There was no integrated workflow for that. It was email or snail mail or fax. So Zact analysis was a game changer for us. And not only did we implement the workflow, the assignment and dispatch workflow with Zact Analysis, but we were also using their workload balancing tools so we could make sure all the firms got an even amount of work distributed. And we worked with Zachware to put key cycle time measurements in. So first notice the loss to contact with the policyholder by the independent adjuster, contact to inspection, and then inspection till we received the report to review an issue of payment on. And that was a huge game changer, just leveraging that those three key cycle times. So we understood what was happening at each juncture, who was complying with our service level agreements, who was not. So for the first time, we had detailed reports from the field to show what's going on at critical junctures. Right. You know, getting the data out of the systems is uh, one of your transformation points, being able to read, interpret, and then act upon. So it sounds like uh, the implementation of Xactware was a big deal. It was able to allow a a single platform. It was able to allow everybody to kind of be the same. What other technologies have you implemented or have seen or maybe worked with that have helped you in in transforming the actual claims process? So um, leveraging aerial imagery through EagleView to get the roof reports and before and after aerial images, as well as wall reports and other third-party data was a game changer for us as well. It was able, we were able to speed up the field adjusting process, make it safer for everybody, and also guarantee more accurate measurements and estimates. So that was a big game changer. Certainly helped with uh, controlling indemnity leakage. Right now, now 
if I'm right, y'all order a Eagle View on pretty much all of your claims because whenever we talk about Twilio, we talk about wind and hail. We talk about roofing outside. So getting those measurements makes sense. But isn't isn't that something that they shall do today? Yes. Um, you know, and we've considered other technologies. We've certainly taken a look at Varus, Jomni, Hover, to name another one. But um, right now, we've had such a great partnership with Eagle View, and um, everything works so well. It's really hard to, for us to think about changing course. We're also talking with Eagle View about how we can enable more virtual adjusting so we can turn that 8 to 10 day cycle time into 8 to 10 minutes or 8 to 10 hours for these small, you know, because 80% of our losses are under $10,000. And if it just involves a roof, you know, can we leverage non-licensed inspectors, drone pilots, or even the policyholder through self-service smartphone apps? So we've been spending a lot of time looking at that. And um, it's just a question of how do we figure out how we integrate with our guidewire claim system so that we can auto triage to be able to send those claims down the right path and not have a person manually deciding that. You know, so it really is a, a whole nother step of continually improving the process. You've got it down from 30 days to 10, you know, 10 down to eight. Now you're thinking, how do we get down from eight days to eight minutes? So really, really neat using technology to do that. Yeah. So I have a claim system development background and I've been involved in six core admin system implementations throughout my career for just about every company I've worked for. So I understand Guidewire. In fact, I've followed them and vetted them multiple times over the last 15 years. So it was wonderful to have the opportunity to actually implement it here at Twia because in the past, other solutions were chosen for a variety of reasons. But you know, Guidewire still, in my mind, stands out as one of the best claim systems out there. And we've now had it on board since 2016. And we're slowly upgrading and implementing other things. The challenge for us in claims is we have Policy Center and Billing Center and other priorities ahead of us. So, you know, we kind of have to take a slower path to allow our limited resources internally to deal with those other projects. But we're actually looking at robotic process automation right now and uh, expect to have something implemented here in the next 90 days or less to take care of some of these redundant admin processes. So one of the things and might be worth talking about in a minute is how we scale up for major hurricane events and use technology. And one of the challenges is we have to scale up to 2,000 or more resources for these events that have never worked for us before, and we have to somehow get them logged into our systems, and somebody has to manually enter their name and their role and all this information in order to get a user ID and password. Well, we're going to teach the robots, the computer robots, how to do that. So all we'll have to do is provide a spreadsheet with the name of the person and their role, and the computer does everything else. So instead of taking two weeks to add that many users, it takes us a couple hours. Wow. So is that something you're doing internally with your internal staff, or is that a consultant company? Yeah, we're working with Cognizant on that. They're one of the leading companies. Another process we're looking at is what we call unverified claim research, where somebody calls in and we can't find a policy so now you got to go and search multiple legacy systems or our main system to see if there's a policy somewhere. We're going to teach the robots how to do that. And then uh, there's one other workflow that escapes me right now, but um, we've got three primary ones. The other thing we're looking at is what we call robot team leads, supervisors. So when we bring in 500 desk examiners that have never worked for us, we need to have 50 to 100 people to supervise them. And it's hard enough for them to learn our systems 
and learn our culture and learn the way we want to do things, they don't have a lot of time to be looking at claim files on diary to see where claims are in danger, going out of compliance, where payments are due that haven't been made. So we can teach the robot to look at the pain points, the compliance points that we want them to find before the claim goes off track and issue either activities in Guidewire or exception reports that a more senior manager can prioritize and say, work these claims right now before they go off. I want to read a uh, Dave Williams quote of which um, there are <laughs> there are many. Some can't be read on a family-friendly podcast like ours, but uh, I'm going to skip over that. I want your comments on this, Dave. It all comes down to people, processes, technology, and data, with people being most important and most challenging. I love that perspective. Talk about that. Yeah, you know, and, and those who know me well know that um, I, I have struggled like any leader over the years and probably micromanaged more than I should have. And, and one of the things I've learned here at TWIA is that if you take care of the people, you have good people, your job is much easier. So, you know, I, I think, you know, as Rob, you and I have talked about, as, as you age, with age comes wisdom. And I've learned probably the harder way, you know, let the people do the work and find ways to help them, not drive them. And, you know, when you have good people, you know, I've, I've told my group over and over since Harvey hit, especially that, man, you make me look good because we really have a great team and do so many wonderful things. But, you know, finding those people, you know, sometimes, you, you, you know, you have to let some people go or you have to put them in different roles or they leave because they realize it's not a good fit. But, you know, right now we have the best claims team I've worked with. They're brilliant. They're hardworking. They really care about serving our policyholders and they love Better Beats Perfect, finding ways to improve, continues to improve. It, you know, and in the past, it seemed like I was the one always looking for the opportunities. Now they're bringing them to me or they're doing it without even questioning because they know if something goes wrong, I'm not going to lose my head over it and they're not going to get in trouble. So, you know, it's just an amazing evolution. You know, one of the things that comes up frequently on our podcast is the idea of failure, the, the reality of failure. Failure happens. We all experience that. And, you know, one of the things we've talked about is that in the insurance industry, everybody says things like, it's okay to fail until you fail, then it's not okay to fail. But that's not your attitude. You say fail forward. What does that mean? So a couple of things, you know, people are going to make mistakes. I make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. And I think the most important thing is, Two things, really. Learn from your mistakes, and then if you make a mistake, recover quickly. So if you didn't do something you should have done, take care of it. Own it and take care of it. Fix it. You know. So failing forward is really a concept that um, is coming out of this drive to create innovative cultures. And in order to stimulate innovation and creativity, you have to allow people to have no fear of failure because when you're prototyping and testing things and piloting things, things are going to go wrong. But if you're smart and you learn from that and you ideate and iterate, at some point you're going to get where you need to get. That whole better be perfect because the world is full of companies and projects that failed because people couldn't see them as perfect. You know, I think there's something along the lines of 60% or more of technology projects never get implemented because of that reason. You know, that I'm sitting here, I'm listening to you talk about employee engagement, employee feedback. You know, you, it sounds like 
you know, a lot of times we'll, we'll talk to people and, you know, their minds are set on, I have to improve the outside process. I have to improve a better technology. I have to do this. It sounds as though you are really taking that internal approach of, if I can surround myself with good people, we're going to be able to accomplish so much more. And uh, I, I read a lot about employee engagement and things, and it sounds like you're really doing a great job there. Well, thanks. And, and you know, I think one of the things is inclusion and transparency. You know, I firmly believe, other than personnel issues and, and, you know, and things like that, that every employee at every level of the organization should see what's going on. You know, my job as an executive of the company is to make sure information cascades down, out, and up. And, you know, up is not hard because that's a big part of my role, but making sure even the folks that work on our claim support team that do the real hard work understand, you know, what's going on, whether it's related to benefits, performance of the company, you know, things like that. You know, it's interesting, my email distribution list for sharing information, I have five direct reports, but I have more like 12 people on that distribution list because it's not just the managers, it's some of the support people that I know need to know the information that I get. You know, it's hard too. It is hard to be as transparent as we need to be. And it's hard to make that effort to think, what do I need to get out? What do I need to know? Because a lot of times managers aren't trying to keep it to themselves. It's just hard to make that effort to make sure everybody knows. And, you know, I, I read an article about everybody in the company needs to know the vision. Everyone needs to know about where we're going. You know, why are we doing this? Why are we making these phone calls? Why are we handling things this way? And by sharing that vision, you know, you grew from a company of five to 50. And it's really interesting and a and great idea on your part to be able to empower everybody to do what they can great. Well, and I could give you an example. Um, every department, so we have, what, eight, 10 departments in our organization, underwriting IT, legal and compliance claims, HR. Every department has to put out a monthly operating report that shows certain performance metrics and project status and things you're working on. And we were the first department in claims to actually have what we call an all-hands meeting every month to go over that monthly operating report. So everybody in the department shows up and understands, are we hitting our goals or not? Where do we need to put additional focus? Where are we having successes? And we also take that time for rewards and recognition and talk about our special investigation unit and things that we're seeing and things for people to look out for. So, you know, because we're only 50 person claims organization, it's much easier to do that. But what a great experience. And we allow the senior managers to present in that meeting. I'm not the one doing it, even though I ultimately put the report together and, and share it so that now we're developing and involving other leaders. And we also have guest presenters on different topics, too. So, you know, that goes a long way to getting buy-in and having people feel like they belong and, and have ownership of things. Cool. Do you know Gary Sullivan? Yes, he used to be at Erie. Now he's a adjunct professor. Um, where, at John Hopkins, maybe? Correct. At Mercyhurst University. Yeah, that's at Mercyhurst. But Gary said something really interesting. I'd like your thought on this because I think it really matters when we talk about transformation, transformation either through technology or process. He said the most important thing that he thinks or that he wanted to say to the insure tech companies out there was the most important thing is relationship. That's the most important thing. And he really kind of caught me by surprise when he said that, because I would have thought he would have said something a little more nerdy or technical, but he said it was relationship. What do you think about that? I absolutely agree. And I think the way I would define it is not sales and marketing tactics, but get to know your clients, understand their pain points and their needs. I have so many people that reach out to me on a daily basis 
wanting to sell me some service or technology. And the approach that works with me is introduce yourself and ask me what what keeps me up at night? What are my challenges? What what are your problems you're looking to solve first? Then tell me how your product can meet it. Don't tell me what your product does for everybody else. You know, we're unique. Everybody's unique. Tell me how you can help me. Then you have my attention. (laughs) That's great. And that's very similar to what Gary said, that it doesn't matter your successes that you've had elsewhere. What matters is, is do you understand my situation and what can your product do for my situation? Not what to do next door, right? That's great. Dave, let's talk about, before we close, let's talk about uh, Claims 2024. Give us your quick thoughts on Claims five years from now. Yeah, I think, um, you know, a lot of what we're seeing, the larger carriers and um, some of the more modernized players doing with virtual adjusting and using smart home technology, telematics and sensor technology, even even camera technology is going to become very ubiquitous across small market, mid market and like it is with the large market carriers. If you watch how smartphones evolved and usage became ubiquitous among all the generations, I think you're going to see digitization of things, more customer self-service, more use of smartphones and applications, more interaction digitally through multiple channels than we're seeing today. It's just, it takes time. I mean, think about fax machines. You know, when you went from group one to group four, which we all know group four, the latest, how long it took for them to become adopted and email, how long it took to become adopted. Well, smartphones, think of how quickly it went from just a flip phone that couldn't even text to now what we have today. Well, we're going to see interactions with human beings in disaster situations really ramp up to the digital world. Things will speed up and the companies that can get there and leverage the data, the accurate data, and have the skill sets in their people are going to win the day. And, and those that can't, there's just no way you can't be left behind because the consumer is going to demand that multi-channel experience where they decide, not the insurance company, and they're going to want things on demand, not two days, not a week later or a month later, because they're not going to understand why their relative or neighbor got it and they didn't. Right. You know, I'd I'd add to that that the companies who will be able to maintain all of those needs that the insurers have are the ones who are able to create the appropriate internal workflows to bring all that data back in. Uh, Because, you know, that's where it starts. It starts making sure that we can get the data back. I think the day of the insured wanting to take care of their own claim using Alexa, using, you know, Google or Apple, whatever it may be, it's going to happen. It's just how do we bring it in? So a continuous improvement on the inside of the uh, the company will allow for the year of 2024 claims to actually happen. Well, and the challenge of our brain drain with a lot of our expertise uh, retiring, technology is going to have to create the expert systems that can bridge the gap between the newbies and the people that are retiring, that knowledge management. you know. And then the other thing, you know, that we'll see happen is the cultural biases that prevent innovation and getting to these things are going to be set aside. So the people that want to sit around and say, that's the way we've always done it. Why do we need to change? They're just not going to have much of a career anymore because it's all happening so fast. And the stuff is, you know, somebody takes a look at it and says, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. Well, Dave, you know, I have, (laughs) I have pages here and we hardly got through anything, but, uh, but, but we try to keep our time inside of a certain span. So I'm going to say that 
can we get back together and continue this conversation sometime in the near future? Because like, I, there's all kinds of things I want to talk about, like the infinite game. <laughs> I want to hear about the infinite game. Yes. So, you know, everybody who knows me knows I read everything, blogs and uh, white papers. And I've been looking at the book by Simon Sinek, S-I-N-E-K, called The Infinite Game. And he has some things he recommends. So The Infinite Game is a game without rules, you know, to put it at its highest level. And his, his thing is, in order to win The Infinite Game, the first thing you have to have is a just cause. And what's a just cause? It's something we know we'll never perfect or get there, but we're not going to stop trying. So it's that better beats perfect, that iterative um, improvement, continuous improvement. Then he, he talks about establishing trusting teams. So that's where the transparency and letting the people who do the work have a say and, and do their jobs well. One of the things I really like is to identify and have worthy rivals. So what's a rival? It's your competition who are better than you that help you understand your weaknesses so you know where to improve. And then the other ones he talks about is the strive for existential flexibility, the ability to step outside your normal box and look at your products and services and say, maybe I can do this better. The best example he gives you of an organization that didn't have existential flexibility is Kodak. Kodak developed the digital camera in the 70s, but didn't think it had a life. So somebody else developed the digital cameras using Kodak's patents, but Kodak, once the patents ran out, lost the big, huge gain. And then lastly, he talks about having the courage to lead. So this is where you have to have the courage. If you fail, you're going to learn from it and you're going to find a way to get past it. So it's a, it's a great book. I haven't finished reading it yet, but you know, those things are really resonate today in today's world. Yeah. Well, you know, you, uh, you make me think that we need a FNO and SureTech reading list that we should publish because uh, several of our guests talk about books. And uh, I think that's something we'll work on. That, that's an assignment for Anthony. But uh, listen, we can't thank you enough. We know that your time is valuable and we appreciate you making some time and sharing your, your great story and that big brain with us. Good. And I can go on to my next topic, which is uh, McKinsey's D Digital Disruption and in Insurance, Cutting Through the Noise article. <laughs> Oh, there you go. Hey, can you share that with us? Um, I think you can go online and find it. I'll see if I can send the link. Okay, please do. Okay, and uh, thanks, Dave. We thank you so much, Dave. Oh, you're welcome. What a smart guy. He's a very smart guy. Very smart guy. I mean, his passion about learning, I mean, it's something that's going to help you know, anybody in any position, but uh, in his field, that's refreshing. Yeah, you can tell that he's passionate about learning things outside of just his industry. You know, like he talked about how a lot of the wind bulls used to stay just within their own state or that, you know, Twio really only knew what Texas did. I think that's the same with his brain. He thinks, okay, well, I work in this niche of insurance, but let me go learn about these other philosophies and bring it back and change the way you know, he does business. Fascinating. Right. As somebody who works for a company that's headquartered in Texas, I appreciated what he said about that he works in the island of Texas, on the island of Texas. So, you know, kudos to him to have that more of a worldview or try to bring a worldview into what he's doing. Yeah, I, I, loved, I loved what he talked about. You know, I, I kept hitting on the all-around approach that he takes within all the departments. He has eight departments. You know, how does he better each department to make them work together 
and to deliver a better product. That's difficult. That's hard. Uh, but he seems to be making it work. And he sees technology not as the end game, but as an enabler, as a tool to accomplish a goal, right? A bigger holistic goal, not just we want to do this one thing in this area. Yeah, and you can tell that he really believes what he preaches here is that better beats perfect. We have to be doing. We have to make it better, and we have to push. You know, we cannot wait until it's perfect. Let's do something now. It was also really interesting what his agreement about, you know, what Gary Sullivan said about relationship was, I thought, it was amazing that it was almost verbatim what Gary said, right? And for those of us who are in in selling and for the insurtechs in our audience who are out there selling to carriers, that's amazing advice. And that is, you know, what matters, what's important to the person you're talking to, right? right? I mean, we know we have some carriers to whom cycle time is everything and some who it's nowhere near as important. Other factors might be more important. So yeah, that was refreshing. Yeah. And you know, he really, he says, use the relationships to get to know where I'm at, what keeps me up at night? What keeps me up at night? And so, you know, he's thinking about 2024. And so he's looking for solutions to 2024, not necessarily a faster claim today, but how can you service the company uh, six years or five years from now? Right. What was all that stuff he was talking about with, you know, bringing in robots to help him, you know, shortcut stuff? He is. So there's companies out there who will enter into your company And they'll look at the way you do business now and they'll say, okay, based on all of these things, we can automate these processes. We can take the human element out, the uh, redundant tasks that people do all day, and we can automate it. And it looks like he's using that. So he refers to robots or bots uh, who can do that. But it's uh, onboarding of an employee. You know, does one person have to sit there all day and do all the paperwork? Or is a way to just in the click of a button, all the paperwork be filed? Uh, And it sounds like he's using technology, not just on the outside of insurance claims, but also within the internal organization of TWIA. Mm -hmm. You know, we invite those people in our audience who are on the carrier side to, uh, to reach out to our guests or to reach out to us to connect you to our guests like Dave. I mean, I think that Dave, you know, Dave's always been a very free sharer of ideas and information. And, you know, I think that's something that we should try to foster is, is connections within our audience between each other. Like, I loved what he said, because one of the things he talked about was he kept talking about people and his people, 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 people. And I've really seen Dave mature as an executive from, like he said, he used to be, he micromanaged. And that was a observation about him in the past. I don't think he's like that anymore. Like he said, his job is about inclusion and transparency, right? So he sees things on a much higher concept level now, I'm happy for him. He's an accomplished executive. Yeah, anybody who can really stop and say, am I being transparent? Am I allowing my employees or my policyholders or my partners to know exactly what's going on? I mean, that takes a high level of skill. And that's not something that somebody just walks in and has. You have to learn from past experiences how to deliver the messages and then why. Yeah, I loved his four points. People, process, technology, and data. You know, those are great transformational points within any company. Right. And that the most important and challenging, people. 
Very interesting. Well, with that, we're going to sign off. And just a quick reminder that our next gig is a remote gig, Lee. It is. We're going to Salt Lake City. Here we come. That's right. The FNO goes on the road to Salt Lake City for the Elevate Conference, for the exact where conference next week in mid-February. Yeah, we're going to be able to bring a lot of information back to you. We're going to be talking to some of the bigger speakers there. Uh, we hope to have a couple of uh, surprise interviews from big names, big names. And, uh, you know, and then we'll do a, a full recap. We'll kind of give you an idea of where the industry's going, where exactly where it thinks it's going and it says it's going. It'll, it'll be a very good remote podcast. Yeah, so... So look forward to that. And Anthony, it's time for your reminder. Yeah, guys, uh, one of the best ways to support the show is to give us some feedback. And feedback comes through uh, ratings and reviews. Uh, so if you could, whatever podcast player you're using, make sure uh, you leave us. You use the star rating and leave uh, a little feedback. Let us know how you how you feel about the show. And be sure that you're subscribing. That way you can get automatic notifications every time we release a new FNO and SureTech. Thank you, Anthony. Great. So we'll see you from Salt Lake City. Bye, everybody.